Well, good morning, everyone. Before we uh, start the slides and our sermon this morning, if you remember from last week, whether you were here or you were at home watching live, I gave us a silly sentence to remember that helps us understand the gospel presentation in uh, a memorable way. I have a $20 bill. This is the first time I've ever done this, and it's obviously going to be the last because it will cost me a lot of money. But this is a real $20 bill. Can you confirm that this is real? Yep. Yeah, it's real. Okay, real $20 bill. For anyone who can tell me what the sentence was last week, five words, and then tell me what those words or the letters represent. So all you have to do is speak 10 words, and you get 20 bucks. Anybody? Caroline? Really? Okay. This was not prompted. I did not beforehand say, here, Caroline, you want $20? I'm going to ask a question. Okay. What was, what was the sentence? Cold fingers juggle green reindeer. Did everybody hear that? Cold fingers juggle green reindeer. But you have to tell me what those five things mean. Don't ask for help. No! Oh my goodness, you were so close. Well, yes, but you said redeemed. But you did change it, and I changed this too. So, you know somehow you're going to get the 20 bucks out of me. All right? So, again, it was uh, cold fingers, juggle, green reindeer. And I hope that is weird enough that you kind of remember it. That's the whole purpose of it. And the gospel presentation attached to that is creation. God created all things, including us, to have a relationship with him. The fall, that relationship went awry when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And so in came judgment and God's justice And that judgment and justice of God means that everyone has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and deserve eternal damnation. That's what we've earned. That's God's justice. That is God's rule over us. But enters in grace, and grace changed the whole equation. And the equation now is God has redeemed His people Through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, do you believe this? The response. And so we can always, within 10 seconds, remember that sentence. And remember, we talk about we're created for a relationship. There was a fall. There's judgment. There's grace, which is the main emphasis of the story of the gospel. And then there's a response. I need to believe. I don't need to earn it. I don't need to do good works to get it. I need to believe. And so that gospel response is exactly what the Thessalonian church believed. And they didn't simply believe it with words. What we saw last week is they believed it with their actions. And good reports were going forward from the Thessalonian church to the surrounding area. And everyone was talking about how they were on fire for God, 
how they loved Jesus, how their lives impacted in real terms people around them. Not with words, but the actions of the gospel, the actions of love. But not all news is good news. Some news is fake news. Right? And I am really struggling nowadays to find out where do you go for real news anymore? And maybe it's just the newspaper. I have no idea. But Abraham Lincoln probably said it best, is you can't always trust what you read on the internet. Thank you for laughing. It took me forever to come up with that one. But the internet is obviously not going to be our final source of right and wrong, true or false, or accurate or inaccurate. It all depends where you land. Because you can land on a site, even one of the big-named network sites, and then a day later they go, oh, yeah, we had to change the story because we got the facts wrong. You're never sure. When are we going to get the facts right? Paul struggled with fake news way back before it became a catchphrase in our culture. Paul dealt with people constantly accusing him of heresy, accusing him of immorality, accusing him of trying to overthrow the Roman government. And time and time again, when he got into a city and he started witnessing, he started sharing the gospel, the Judaizers and some of the Roman citizens and some of those that had business ventures of making idols and prostitution became very upset when their client base was being taken away from them. And so they started spreading rumors and gossip to the point of getting crowds all riled up to where they wanted to kill Paul and get him out of here because he must be terrible for us if everyone is telling us he's terrible. If all the Jews who we know to be somewhat religiously moral are saying this guy's wrong, the guy must be wrong. And so he had to fight time and time again to clear his good name, to state the truth, the facts, to give the real side of the news story to people that he had been intimate and close with, that he had shared meals with and spent time with, that he had evangelized and see brought up in the Christian faith, and he was their spiritual father, and now they're hearing all these bad reports that maybe everything that Paul told us was a lie. And so Paul starts out in the entirety of actually First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, and you can turn there now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul has to set the stage for his credibility and remind this church at Thessalonica, which was a very young church, did not have copies of the Bible, had no way of listening to him on the internet or on the radio or on TV, simply remembering, what did he say a year ago when he was here talking to us about Jesus? Oh yeah, that's what he said. All these reports now are coming in from all around that Paul is a masterful deceiver. Don't believe what Paul says. He's lying about it and getting rich off of it. Paul was anything but getting rich off the message of the gospel. He, in fact, had another job while he was preparing and sharing the gospel to many folks. So he starts out in verse 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 dealing with fake news about him by saying the following, 
You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. So he starts out by saying, you know that when we came, action happened. Not just merely words, but action. And you know the result was ultimately their conversion. But he goes on and says in verse 2, We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Do you remember what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi the last time? It would have been around Acts 15 through 17. You know what happened there? He's evangelizing the entire city. The entire city is listening to Paul, and people are getting excited about the message, and there are people who are getting angry about the message, especially the Jews in the synagogue, which he always went to and always tried to bring about a religious conversation about Jesus from the Scriptures to them, but they were in stark opposition to the point where they threw him in jail. And Paul was stripped naked, no food, no water, nothing, just sitting in jail one night, singing to God, and the jailhouse breaks open. And everyone starts to flee except for Paul. And the Philippian jailer comes in and says, my life is over, I might, might want to just kill myself, because that's what's going to happen, I've lost all the prisoners. The Holy Spirit converts that man, he goes back to their house, Paul does, and the whole family is converted. But the news went out that Paul was arrested, Paul was persecuted, Paul was thrown in prison. Paul was a bad apple in the eyes of the Philippi government, the city, the council, and whoever, you know, whoever was in charge of it. And Paul has to remind the church of Thessalonica, right after this, I came to you with the same message and the same gospel, knowing that the same outcome might happen. I might be thrown in prison. But I came and I preached. And you know my past. I didn't hide it from you that I got arrested. But I was freely telling you that message because the message is not about being arrested. The message is the power of the gospel to change hearts and lives, to actually break down a prison door and wall. That is how powerful the gospel message is. He continues in verse 3 through 6, to remind us that I didn't deceive anyone. There was no bait and switch involved here. What I said was actually true. And he says, starting in verse 3, for the gospel we make, does, uh, for the appeal we make, does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. There's no ulterior motive. There's no oh yeah, by the way, you need to buy this and your life will be satisfied and happy. Oh, you also need to buy this. Oh, you also need to buy this. Oh, you haven't bought this yet. You need this in order to be happy. You don't have this. All your neighbors have it. You should have it too. He wasn't trying to sell anything. He was not trying to sell snake oil. He was not trying to sell you a gadget. He was not trying to sell you a happy life with a happy pill. He was telling you the truth of the fall. He was telling you the truth of grace. And he was telling you truth that you need to respond to the message. There was nothing else involved but that and that alone. In verse 4, he says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. 
We were not looking for the praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, even though the apostles of Christ, even though as the apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Paul says we had every right to command you to listen to us because we're coming from God himself. We are his messengers. We are his spokesmen. We are here in his stead as a mouth of his gospel. And we could have asserted that. We could have made you listen. But we didn't. We came with simply the power of the gospel. No bait and switch at all. Cue our first video. Bait and switch. Yes? Uh, oh. In a little bit, we're going to have some lunch down in the room next to the Lord's office. Great, I'm ready. Oh, a little bit? Oh, I've been in an hour. Okay. Gotta wait a whole hour. I am so hungry. Has it been an hour yet? We have your favorite, Gigi's Barbecue downstairs. Oh my goodness, barbecue! I can't wait! Wait, wait, but Gigi's Barbecue is your favorite, right? It is definitely my favorite right. barbecue. Come on, barbecue, Gigi's your favorite. <laughs> by Wayne Grudem. Nice. So this was bait and switch. Bait and switch. But hey, have a seat. It's a good bait and switch, it's but a it's bait a switch. bait and switch. Yeah, I need all your knowledge. Come on. I did not get lunch that day. I was promised lunch. I got a Bible study instead, which was a good thing. But you understand that idea of bait and switch. You always go into those stores that advertise $99 for a 56-inch TV. And you end up, well, there is none. That was just a leader to get you in, to get you hooked, to get your foot traffic. Paul is saying, I was not like that. I didn't do something to get you to listen. I didn't offer you something in order to get a payout in the end. It was selfless on my part, simply to get you to listen to the message of the gospel. That's all I wanted. And in fact, unfortunately, in this day and age, and Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in this day and age, we have to deal with something pretty difficult. Because in um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes later on, last letter he ever wrote. So this is kind of like his farewell letter of all of his epistles. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Paul says there's going to be a time, and I think this happens in every culture, there'll be a time where people who have Maybe once professed, oh, I love this thing called church. I love this thing called Christianity. The system gives me a sense of who I am and where I fit in the universe. But don't ever mention that S word. 
You know what we're, we're talking about? Sin. Don't mention sin. Because if you mention sin, people will start to feel bad. And if people feel bad, they're not going to want to come to church. And if they don't come to church, they won't give tithes and offerings. And if they don't give tithes and offerings, oh, you know what will happen. It will have to close its doors. And you'll be out of an income and a job. And so instead of making people feel bad, just tell them lovely stories that just simply make them happy and excite them and make them laugh. And then, then, oh, it'll be filled out. And you will be excited with how many people listen to you and how many people respect you. Not because of the truth, but because you entertain them better than the next person until the next entertainer comes along that's better than you, and then they switch. Paul says, I've had none of that. When I've told you the truth, I've told you the truth. And sometimes that truth is like pulling off a Band-Aid and it hurts. But you know that sensation. Once that Band-Aid is pulled off and all that hair comes with it, ten seconds later, there's a relief. And Paul says, that's what the Gospel is. That's what I've done. As I brought, brought you relief to the real condition that you're facing, sin. The real condition that you're facing, a broken relationship with God that only Christ can mend and fix. And in the end, that does bring happiness. That does bring contentment and joy to the person that hears it and responds to it. But Paul says there's going to be a time when people would rather have the thrills than the message of sin and grace. Oh, they want to hear about grace and love, yes, but they don't want to get there to where that grace and love really impacts them for an eternity. Paul says, but I didn't come to you like that. How did Paul come to them? He kind of talks about that in the very next section, verse 7 through 12, several verses here. He says, instead, we didn't come like this, but instead, we were like, or you, uh, we were like young children among you. We were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. That just invokes this gentleness, doesn't it? Just a gentleness. So Paul came to them in gentleness. Just as a nursing mom takes care of her kids, that's how we came to you. That's gentleness. That's care. There's an intimacy there. There's a love there. There's a bond there. And Paul says, I came to you like that. You know when we came with the message, we came to you with that type of bond. He says, so we cared for you, verse 8, because we loved you so much. Not because we wanted something from you, but because we loved you so much. And in fact, the Greek word there is exceedingly. It's like Paul can't really find a word that grasps how much he loves them. It was exceeding love. And we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul was all in. Paul was all in. There was not a part of Paul that did not love the gospel of Christ and wanting to get that message across. Love motivated him. So, 
From last week, we remember that one of the challenges that we have in presenting the gospel to people is fear. Okay, fear of how they're going to respond, fear of what to say. Well, we're, we're trying to overcome that fear of what to say with cold fingers, juggle, green reindeer. We're trying to get over what to say, but the fear of saying it sometimes is still there because we don't know how they're going to respond. That fear can be eliminated from your life once and for all when you consider love. Love conquers that fear of telling someone about Jesus because they need to know. They need a right relationship with God, and without that message of the gospel, they may not hear it. You may assume, since they grew up in America, they had to have heard the gospel. Since they grew up in the land of the free and the home of the brave, where it seems like everyone has a Christian influence, they surely have heard the gospel. You want to go into eternal life assuming something? No, you want to go into eternal life with certainty. Absolute certainty. For them to have certainty going into eternal life, they need to hear the gospel. How many times do they need to hear the gospel? As many times as God gives you the opportunity to share it with them. Until maybe they can recite it back. But I'm not looking for them to recite it back. I'm looking for them to respond in faith by saying, yes, I believe. And until that happens, every moment and opportunity that the Holy Spirit prompts me to share, I share. And I tell them, you must believe. And once you believe, you are saved to the uttermost. No half salvation, no added works. It's full and free salvation that Christ offers in the gospel. And Paul said, my love for you, like a mother caring for her nursing child, is how I saw you. I saw you needy and helpless, and I needed to give you the truth. And I was motivated out of love. Nothing else motivated me. Not that you would praise me, not that you would set me up, not that you would erect a statue of me, not that you would ever thank me. That's unnecessary. All that's necessary is that I act on this love and I share with you the truth. The grim details of sin and judgment and the great news of grace and you're able to respond. It says in verse 9, Surely you remember, <laughs> surely you remember brothers and sisters. Second time he's mentioned them as brothers and sisters. He loves them like family. He doesn't see them as a mission. He sees them as family, brothers and sisters. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Do you see Paul's heart there? 
Do you see his motivation for wanting to share the gospel to the utmost ends of the world? Do you see his heart being revealed, torn back, that you can see it clearly? He loved these people who he didn't even know before he walked into that town. He loved them. Modeling the beautiful, timeless, and eternal love that the Father has for you. Before you even acknowledged Him, before you even learned your first Bible lesson or sang your first Christian song, God loved you. From eternity past. Paul says, before you did anything good or bad, He placed His love upon you. Paul says, I came to you in that same way as a father who was encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says, before God is my witness, you know when I walked into that city and I saw you worshiping your idols, visiting the temple prostitutes, and living a life that was deplorable to God, you know that my motives were pure. I didn't want something out of you or from you. I wanted you to hear about God's love through Christ. That's all that motivated me. That is the heart of every missionary. That is the heart of every pastor. That should be the heart of every person who's been entrusted with this gospel message, as Paul says. So who here, by a raise of hands, has been entrusted with the gospel message? Everybody better raise their hand. Every one of you. You can put your hands down. I got it. Every one of you has been entrusted When you say that word entrusted, what what does that kind of remind you of? Does anything come to your mind? Entrusted. I'll tell you, uh, the very first time, and I totally mean to embarrass this child, the very first time I held my very first child in the delivery room, I was terrified. I was terrified. Do you want to know why I was terrified? What if I break him? He's so precious, so small, so dependent, entrusted to me. You've been entrusted with something, and I know it's going to sound, I'm just going to say it, you've been entrusted with something far greater than a child. You've been entrusted with the words of eternal life for anyone who believes. For the worst of sinners to the one who thinks that they've never sinned once. You've been entrusted with the words that change a life forever. Paul says, when I was given that in trust, being an apostle, a messenger, someone sent out, when I saw someone in need, my heart broke for them. And I took the most precious thing that was given to me. Not my money, not my words, not my charisma, not my miracles that were performed. 
but the words, repent and believe, and you shall be saved. And I gave it. And he says to the church at Thessaloniki, you know that. You know everything I just said for 12 verses. You know it. Because that's how I lived in front of you. And that's how Paul lived in front of every city he walked into, treating them as precious children under his care with the words of Christ. And he continues to share in verse 13 through 16, the end of the chapter, some of the challenges of persecution that he ended up facing. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the Word of God, that's that last part of the Gospel, their response, they received it, meaning they believed it. When you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul again goes back to some of the false reports that were made about him, that he's a charlatan, that he's in it for some kind of personal gain, that all he does is simply talk a good talk, but he doesn't live it. He's trying to make you follow a philosophy, but it's not true. He says, no, it's not words that I gave you. It's not words that I shared with you. But I actually shared with you the power of God through the Gospel. And you now have inside of you the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Word, living and residing in you just as if you were one of His temples. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He continues and says, For you, brothers and sisters, that intimacy, that brothers and sisters, because imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, you suffered from your own people the same thing that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. He acknowledges the people that have been persecuting other churches have come and started persecuting you. But understand, in that persecution, other people have gone before you. Paul has. Silas has. Peter has. James, the first martyr, has. And not only New Testament people, but the prophets of old. They've all paid, many of them, with their very life. And not only ordinary people, but even the Lord Jesus Christ suffered, was persecuted, and murdered. And they displease God and are hostile to everyone, those that oppose the gospel, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Paul, again, goes back to that message. My whole point and my whole goal is to have people listen to the words of eternal life. Paul is a one purpose, one driven individual. I need to get the message across. People need to hear about how God put them in a relationship. 
how the fall took away that relationship, how judgment now has come upon them, and how grace has restored that relationship, and how they must now believe that message in order to be saved. That's all that's on his mind. One track, one message, one thought, one goal, one purpose, because it's one thing that people need. The words of eternal life. The words that will bring peace to their soul. And there's people that will oppose that. There's people that will lie about it. There's people that will manipulate those words. There's people that will take those words and use it for their own profit and still use the word Jesus and still use the word saved and still use the word love. All with the purpose of trying to sidetrack you and make you think the very first lie ever told. Remember the first lie ever told? It was told by Satan. And he subtly approached Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and said, did he really say you can't touch that tree? Well, no. In fact, God didn't say anything about touching. He said, don't eat it. What do you think if you touch it? And he subtly lies and deceives God's truth to get them to eat it. There are those that will use a church, Scripture, a position to get their own way, to get their own message, to get their own following, their own praise. Those kind of people were not invented when the TV evangelist was invented. It wasn't invented with the radio. It has been around since the days of Paul. And even before that, through the days of all the prophets of the Old Testament, those that want to stop the message. Why do they want to stop the message of the gospel? Why does the world not want to hear it? Why does the culture want to silence the message of Christ? I think ultimately, it's because it does not elevate man. It never paints man in a really good picture. It paints man as fallen. It paints mankind as unable. It paints mankind as weak, as flawed, as broken. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about how good I am. I want to hear about how much potential I have. Build me up. Don't tear me down. But the Gospel tears you down to its roots. You've sinned against God and you deserve judgment. The world doesn't want to hear. The world does not want to bend its knee. The world does not want to submit to Christ as their only hope of salvation. Mankind still thinks, if I, am I smart enough? If I'm strong enough? If I'm rich enough? If I'm brave enough? If I'm, if I'm whatever it is, they think they can answer that question of why, why has this relationship with God been broken? It's through Christ. And the Greeks and the Jews look at that message, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, and they laugh at it. 
They say it can't be that simple. Believe? It can't be. That's foolish. What you call foolishness, God calls love. God calls hope. God calls it grace. So we can't be surprised when the world wants to silence the gospel. It's been trying to do that from the very beginning. Our responsibility is not to cower and hide from it. It's not to compromise with it. But it's to be bold out of love and proclaim it. That mankind's only hope when they breathe that last breath is to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you have been entrusted to give that message to others. Yes, with all your fears. Yes, with all of your shortcomings. Yes, with all of the unanswered questions that you have in your mind. Yes, with all of that. You still have been entrusted with the most precious words ever spoken. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's not potential. It's not maybe. It's you shall be saved. And Paul concludes it in verse 16. In their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, in this way they always heap their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Paul is saying, you know what? With all that opposition that I face as an evangelist, Paul is saying, in the end, they all get it. God's wrath and God's judgment will take care of it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to call them on the carpet. I don't have to rise up against them. God is the judge who will judge rightly and fairly and ultimately, and every time they attack you, every time they ridicule you, every time they laugh at you, every time they put their arm up and say, I don't want to hear it, all they're doing is earning for themselves more and more of God's judgment. That is serious, and it is severe. But they have a chance to repent and believe because Paul used to be one of them. Paul was there when they stoned Stephen. He was there when James was martyred. He was one of them. But he responded to the Gospel. He responded. Something to take home. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. 
And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Paul lived that. Paul had every part of his life permeated by that message. Christ is my all in all. Everything else where I I have responsibilities, I fulfill them. I'm not disowning my family. I fulfill my responsibilities. But God is first and foremost in my life. Christ is who I follow as my Lord and Savior. And Him and Him alone. Paul's life exampled that every step of the way. Every time he walked into a new town and a new city, he had to live that. His life was soaked by Christ. Cue our final last video. So I'm trying to think of an illustration for this idea of being soaked by Christ, this permeated, having him part of our everyday life in every part of our life, and I just cannot figure out an illustration. Look Look over there. What? Like that? I'm soaked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the monkey was bigger. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Cut. Creation. We don't have to watch it again. And it did hurt. He threw it right on my head. But you get the idea of what it's like to be soaked. Could you imagine if we walk out of here today? Each of us soaked in the words of Christ to where someone notices, hey, you're soaked. Yes, I am. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you who has just infiltrated my every part of life. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and thankful in this rather warm and humid day here in Pueblo, Colorado, that you have given us the words of life. Father, you have entrusted us entrusted it to each one of us. May we, Father, be faithful and courageous to share the words of eternal life where you give us opportunity. Father, may your Holy Spirit lead and guide us to opportunities, and may we be brave enough to trust you for that response.